There's good things and bad things to sending the youngest guy last. It's good because I get more time to prepare than everybody else. And I have the benefit of seeing how it's done. The bad thing is that all the rest of you have seen how it's done too. (laughs) This session is entitled Worship Wars, which is really just a play on words as I'm not here to talk about the superiority of hymns over choruses or organs over guitars, or Psalter a cappella singing only versus basically everything else. I'm not here to talk about any of that tedium which we normally think of when we think of, when we hear the words worship wars. Sorry to disappoint those of you who thought you were in for that. By wars in this case, I mean that great struggle which makes up the entirety of the Christian life from first blush to final breath, the good fight of faith. And by worship, I mean that the wonderful help that song can be in training, motivating, and sustaining our hearts through the long war. To better express this, I've subtitled our session, Worship as Fuel for the Fight. Every soldier has his rations to sustain him in war, and if he doesn't get them or doesn't eat them, he grows weak and he dies. As Christian soldiers, we're in the habit of calling our rations means of grace. These are the means God has given us by which we improve and maintain our strength. Things like baptism, the Lord's Supper, prayer, fasting, searching the scriptures, Christian fellowship, and so on. To which I want to add singing. For the life of me, I can't imagine why that one is hardly ever included in in these lists of means of grace that people rattle off. When Paul so clearly teaches us that we are to teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. He says that on two occasions. I don't know, maybe singing is merely assumed under prayer, since the two bear so much in common. As Augustine said, he who sings prays twice. Even so, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs clearly make up an essential part of our regular nourishment as believers and are therefore a tremendous help to those of us who fight the good fight of faith against sin, Satan, the world, the flesh, and so on, as I know many of you can attest. Now, we can look to more than one passage of Scripture to see the symbiotic relationship that exists between singing and battle. But my favorite is this, Psalm 149, verses 5 to 9. It says, Let the godly ones exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. And does anybody know what comes next? And a two-edged sword in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is an honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. It says, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance. It's amazing and not a little disturbing. It's hard for me to stomach the thought of, personally dealing out God's judgment on the heathen. That's unnerving. Well, let me try and ease that tension a little bit for us 
by reading what Spurgeon says about the passage. He says, In this Israel was not an example but a type. We will not copy the chosen people in making literal war, but we will fulfill the emblem by carrying on spiritual war. We praise God and contend with our corruptions. We sing joyfully and war earnestly with evil of every kind. Our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty and wound with both back and edge. The word of God is all edge. Whichever way we turn it, it strikes deadly blows at falsehood and wickedness. And here's the most important part. He says, if we do not praise, we shall, go, we shall grow sad in our conflict. And if we do not fight, we shall become presumptuous in our song. Isn't that the perfect summary of where we're at as the evangelical church today? Having called truce with the world, having called a truce with sin, having laid down our weapons, having retreated from the gaps in the wall, we've become presumptuous in our song. Never before have we sung more about how much we love Jesus. Never before in history have we sung more about how much God loves us. But if we've laid down our weapons, if we've given up the fight, if we've carefully cultivated an ignorance, a blindness to sin, if we've made concession after concession to an advancing world until there's no distinction left, if we've even fallen so far as to call what is evil good and what is good evil, then what is the truth about us? The truth about us as the evangelical church in America is there is no grace for us. What we have, and we have it out the you-know-what, is cheap grace. And cheap grace is all presumption. There will be no heaven if we will have no war. Remember what Jesus said. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. What I want to try and do this afternoon, through a few words, and some singing we'll do together later, is remind us all that there is indeed abundant and everlasting life to be had. There is a crown to win. There is peace and contentment and joy and rest and comfort and feasting and delight and whole storehouses of perfection to be enjoyed in God's good heaven. But the only way to get there, and I mean the only way to get there, is through violence. Violence to our sin, violence to the flesh, violence to the reigning philosophies and ideologies of our day, what the Bible calls the world, violence, as Jesus said, even to heaven. My aim is to call us all back to the battle, where we are to face certain death, sure, but where by God's grace from the ground there blossoms red, life that shall endless be. Before we sing, there are just a couple of points that I want to make, and the first is this. I want everybody here to understand that the predominant, the primary metaphor that Scripture uses to describe the Christian life, your life, 
is the metaphor of war. Now, Pastor Baker made this point so well last night, I get to skip several pages of scriptures that he's already read to you. I just want to remind you that the scriptures are full from first to last of the imagery and language, the metaphor of battle. And all this is brought to bear in the New Testament to describe our life, what our life is to be, what God expects of us. Now, I grew up hearing that if the Bible repeats itself on any particular point, you need to pay extra special attention because if God says something twice, then he means it and he wants to get his point across. If he says something three times, then he really means business. Have you heard anything like that, Jake? Sort of like a Baptist thing, I think. Now, that is stupid. Because we know that if God says anything, that it's serious and our very life depends upon it. But, brothers and sisters, let me assure you that if the Bible says something over and 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 over again, it really does mean it. And we need to make use of it. Shouldn't we expect to hear more about it than we do? Shouldn't we expect to be singing more about it than we do? Which brings me to my second point, and that is that this biblical war metaphor has always, until recently, been a prominent theme in Christian worship. To prove, to prove that, bring me virtually any good hymnal more than 50 years old, and there will be an entire section in it devoted to Christian warfare. Bring me a hymnal, an older one still, let's say 150 years old, and that section will be even bigger, and the language won't have been emasculated. It will use words like I just did, violence, to describe your life. Take a hymnal older still, and you'll probably have in your hands a psalter which is the psalms set to, to, uh, to music in some form. And then almost every song in the book will have to do with battle. As Stephen pointed out, it's, it's just everywhere in the psalms. Psalm 2, the kings of the earth take their stand. That's how the book virtually opens. And from then on, it's just war and enemy and safety and retreat and fear and persecution, and danger, weaponry. Do you see a trend? What's going on there? What's going on there is this. Let me read you a quote from a book called Ministry and Music by Robert Mitchell, written in the late 1970s. And pardon me, you have to read this in a particular way. You'll get it. He says, there are many traditional hymns whose imagery is rooted in the concept of the holy war. No matter that some of these are favorite songs or or that this imagery is based upon scripture. Today, for some thoughtful Christians, this imagery has become inappropriate. Many who have experienced the trauma of Vietnam and of the religious wars in Ireland and the Near East 
find it difficult to sing about the church's mission in these terms. Sound the battle cry, the Son of God goes forth to war, onward Christian soldiers, am I a soldier of the cross? Soldiers of Christ arise, stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the cross. And other similar expressions are incompatible in today's world with the sharing of the good news of the love of God as seen in Jesus Christ. The fact that many of us in the church do not connect such songs with the reality reported in the daily newspaper strongly points up the issue. Though we may simply enjoy the tunes and the vigorous cadence and ignore the words, yeah, (laughs) they speak explicitly to those outside the fellowship, those with whom we want to share the gospel. They are not theologically useful. Not theologically useful. That's saying the Bible is not theologically useful. And is it any surprise that the very next paragraph paragraph has this to say? Similarly, at this moment in our society, the issue of sexism is becoming important to many. Emotional debate is going on as to whether all exclusive sexist language should or can be eliminated from the hymn book. At such a time, if such persons are part of the worshiping community, worshiping community, persons worshiping community it is questionable whether a hymn with the focus of rise up O men of god or men and children everywhere can be considered useful what we see here is the church moving away from a firm commitment to god and his word which is always accompanied by persecution to a firm commitment to being well like we see a church moving away from her fight. And what happens when the church moves away from the fight? I'll tell you what happens. Many, many, many souls go to hell. I said earlier that there's a sort of symbiotic relationship that exists between singing and warfare, that the two help feed each other. And I said that singing... Certain kinds of songs can help strengthen and sustain Christian soldiers in their fight. But this assumes that we are fighting. What if we're not? What if all the churches in America have left the field of battle, found a nice, quiet, comfy corner for themselves somewhere out of the way, laid down and fallen asleep? Well, then there's all the more need to sound the battle cry. What's the theme verse for clear note? If the bugler doesn't sound a clear note, who will be called to battle? The music of our churches desperately needs to sound the battle cry. It needs to rouse the troops. It needs to warn us of danger. It needs to motivate us. It needs to strengthen us. It needs to command us. Music has the power to do this, as Paul said it can teach and admonish it also has a symbiotic relationship it seems with preaching as it uses god's word and proclaims it and draws men together to confess it the band is going to come up now and join me and we're they're going to 
lead us in singing five songs, five songs that are what we consider good examples, certainly not an exhaustive list by any means, but good examples of the types of songs we need to be singing. And if you have any influence in your church as to what music is done, if you have any sway with your pastor or your music minister, or if you are a music minister, I commend you these types of songs. And I'll be leading us through them as we go along. Would you please stand and we'll sing together. This first one is just a classic one, just to get us going on the right foot. It's, it's just so good. It deals with almost all of the issues that we're going to be talking about. Am I a soldier of the cross? I haven't slept since then. <laughs> so what, what do I do here? Thank you. Oh, 
you, I don't know where we would be without Isaac Watts. He knew how to write. Jake and I were just talking. Jake, you want to share your thought? This is really your thought, and you'll say it better. Just come share your thought real quick. Would you like me to share with you? I was just talking with Jody uh, over lunch about the nature of poets and warriors and warrior poets. And I was we were talking about how the reason we don't have any music, any good music in the last 50 to 100 years in the church is because there have been no warriors. Men who are willing to die, men who are willing to fight for something are men who love much, men who are poets and whose love overflows in fighting and overflows in poetry and music. And those are my thoughts. Another category of song that's very important and very helpful to motivating us for helping us in the fight is that uh, the, ki- the kind of song, so excuse me, the kind of song that establishes the stakes, that tells us, that frames the war in, in, in the right way, that it helps us understand, you know, w- that we are going to give an account for the deeds we do in the, bi- the body. Songs about judgment set the stakes for the war. You know, that there is there's life and death. There's danger. And we have to be constantly reminded of that. This is a, an old, uh, old text I found in a hymnal that we put a new tune to. Some of you already know it. The rest of you, I think, can pick it up before too long.
something else that we need to be reminded of and that is how although we love to think of Jesus Christ as our prophet the one who has given his life the sacrifice the priest sorry Stephen's like (laughs) while we love to think of Jesus as our high priest and we love to meditate on that and preach about it and sing about it constantly we like less to think of Jesus as a prophet who speaks hard things. And I think we even like less to think of Jesus as king, who reigns and sits in all authority over everything. And especially a vision of him as our king leading us in battle is entirely neglected in the church today. Calling Jesus our captain is something that was popular in old days, but something you'd never hear a preacher say these days. Um, There's this one song we wanted to sing, forgive me that we're not, we're just not quite comfortable with our arrangement of it yet and with some of the words we've been adding. It's an Isaac Watts hymn again that we've added some different words to at various points, and it's just not quite there yet, so we're not going to sing it. But let me read you some of the words. Imagine if we sang this, what it would have to sound like and how hopeful it would be. Hosanna to the Prince of Light, who clothed himself in clay. He entered iron gates of death and tore the bars away. Death is no more the king of dread. Since our Emmanuel rose, he took the tyrant's sting away and he conquered all our foes. 
See how the conqueror mounts aloft and to his father flies with scars of honor in his flesh and triumph in his eyes. There are exalted... The Son of God goes forth to war, a kingly crown to gain. His blood-red banner streams afar, who follows in his train? Who best can drink his cup of woe, triumphant
time is it? What time are we supposed to be done? Okay. Well, we're going to do six songs instead of five. One more thing that we have to have our eyes fixed on is heaven. And that helps. It's profitable. It's necessary. It's edifying. And, oh, sorry, just give me a second. Changing guitar. We need to have in our minds firmly planted and exercised regularly a vision of that day. It has to loom large in our mind and in our heart. Otherwise, there's no prize before us. We have to have the prize set before us. And that is enjoying heaven with all its delights in the presence of God forever without pain or sorrow or grief the fight will be over and so we do need to think of that day often for those at the projector if you hadn't picked up we're going to do we will dance Wedding feast to come is a 
about that too much. We don't think about it often, do we? On day to day, during the week. Um, we're going to end with one song. Ben, Gulick, are you out there? Are you going to come play? A song which we fall in love with around here, and you have to give Aaron Laws a hard time because he's not here and he had a really pathetic excuse actually it was kind of a good one but it was kind of pathetic so give him a hard time because this song is way more awesome with the french horn so we can just imagine the french horn in there okay lead on O king eternal Yeah. 
Can I have an amen?